Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Puck Poolies Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Stephen Ellis. And this this is a special episode that's all about Stephen. This is going to tickle him pink. We're talking NHL draft. There's even a segment where we're going to talk a little bit about racing later. This is just a dream come true. So happy birthday, I guess, whenever your birthday is, Stephen. I can't remember when it is, but this is for you, my friend. It is pretty close. Actually, it is a month yesterday. Yeah, a month yesterday. So pretty pretty dang close. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Nashville is going to be a lot of fun. Never been there. Excited for the spicy food. Uh, also, that's a fun week in Nashville to begin with. Monster Jam is like right after the draft at that same stadium. And NASCAR is there on the Sunday. So it's kind of a busy week in, the, in that city. That's uh, cool to see. That's going to be crazy. And maybe I'll take you to Hattie B's Hot Chicken to give you the authentic nashville hot experience we'll i'm see ready i'm ready that goes so let's let's dive into it steven this is our draft preview episode but from a fantasy perspective again that's what we do on this podcast it's a fantasy podcast so we're going to look at the 2023 draft class and approach it from what the fantasy implications are depending on where these guys are going to go so we're going to start there and i want, I want to start at the top we're going to start with the broad strokes if you will steven and we're going to look at the projected top five, your projected top five on dailyfaceoff.com right now. And I want to get your quick thoughts on how you see their impact being in fantasy immediately and career. So we're just going to start at the top. We'll go Connor Bedard, number one. What is the best way to describe what he will be as a fantasy player? Phenom, superstar. It won't be long until he's, uh, you're, you're wondering if you're picking him or McDavid first overall in the draft. And, you know, I think that's, it's really exciting to see a guy like this. You know, for, for someone who follows prospects like myself, 
you always are waiting for a guy like this. Someone to get you really excited about like falling the draft, watching him every single time. And every time you watch Bedard play, it's like he does something you just don't expect. So a guy of that talent, it's it's unbelievable to see. So yeah, he's going to be someone who's be going to hit 100 points, no problem for a long time, challenging for MVP titles. Um, you know, I think the question is, you know, going to the Chicago Blackhawks, how quick will that be? I don't think it's going to be immediate. I think I, I would be shocked if he's not hitting 70 points next year. Um, kind of regardless of who he plays with, just because he could generate everything and he's so deceptive. And he's been growing up playing against, you know, pro hockey goalies in, in the summer and training on that and learning how to score on them. So it's not like he's going to be in like total uncharted water here. So I expect, you know, the, easily the best prospect in this draft, easily the best prospect since McDavid. He's going to have an incredible career. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. What I'm most curious about with Connor Bedard as well is, as you pointed out in a story you did earlier this year, his physical play is underrated. So I'm curious because they don't track hits the same way in, in junior levels. You don't really know what a guy's going to contribute to banger leagues until he arrives at the NHL level. And I'm very excited to see if Bernard is a guy who generates a lot of hits because that can make his value go through the roof. Should be very interesting to see. Uh, and number two, of course, we have Adam Fantilli. And I, I think it's strange that people are kind of, I don't want to say sleeping on him, but like overlooking that he's a really great prospect as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of strange because you look at it and like he he finished his like college season in April and then he won the the won the Hobie Baker and he was the top scorer and it feels like that was like a century ago. And you know, at some points I feel like I'm underrating him myself and I've been following his game since he was about 14, 15 years old. Um it's, you know, seeing him at the World Championship struggled a little bit at the beginning, even got kicked out of a game, but when he got comfortable near the end, that was a guy that showed that he had something that he, he could play pro hockey. And it's going to take, you know, a bit a bit of an adjustment period for him. But going and playing college, I think, was the great the great move for him because whether or not he goes back for one more year, he will have that experience of this past year playing against older competition. A lot of players that he played with and against are going to be pro players next year. So he got that experience. But it just like this is a guy that I was talking to, to Frank Cervelli yesterday. He was asking me, like, who would you say is kind of a comparable for him? And I see there's a bit of Jonathan Taze and a bit of Evgeny Malkin in him. You know, big forward, commands the ice, uh, great shot, good skater. Uh, he can absolutely take control of a shift. And, you know, doing it against college level is one thing. But, you know, again, college level, like when you get to the national championship stage, you're playing a lot of older teams with older players that have been doing this for a lot longer. And he was a freshman and was dominating. You know, that really rarely comes up. You know, we're looking at some of the best freshman seasons by draft eligible player. You're looking at Paul Correa and Jack Eichel and and now Adam Fantilli. So he's in good uh, mode here. I think he, you know, a lot of his value will be in other categories. He likes to get physical, so he will do that. But he also can again score, playmaker. He can do all of that. So he's a guy that should be able to contribute to most categories for him. All right, I'd be very excited to get get him in my fantasy draft. And again, I'm I'm rebuilding next year, so I'm going to be looking closely at all of these guys when because I, I don't have a first round pick. So when that second round turn comes in, in my keeper league, I'll have my eye on Bedard and Fantilli if either is still there. Uh, number three projected pick, another player who I'm really excited about, and he showed he can really hang with men. Of course, playing at the the Worlds recently, that's Leo Carlson. Yeah, and, and you know I think the. Kevin watched kind of Sweden's games a lot. There were a lot of times where Leo Carson did look quiet. And I would still argue, he I wouldn't say argue because he was, but he was the best draft eligible prospect in that uh, tournament for sure. But there were games where he definitely was quiet. That being said, you know, they the coaching staff never took him off the top line. Whether or not that was the right call, 
is up to debate, but he was always playing with Lucas Raymond. He always had another NHL that had a side there, whether it be Jonathan Berger and whether it be Alex Nylander. So he had some good players to play with and learn from, and that seemed to really work in his favor. And, you know, he is another big body, you know, 6'3". He uses it, but he uses it mostly kind of in front of the net to create those rebounds, to create those chances. He he can get a lot of shots on net. I think he will be a high-volume player um, if your league counts things like shots. Um, it's... You know, I think he goes to Columbus at this point. I think he will be the number three pick. And, and if he is, that's a, it might not be long until he's playing with Johnny Goudreau and guys like that. Like he could, I, I think he's got as good of a case as anybody in the top five to play in the NHL next year. Whether or not that's the whole season, I don't know. But, you know, you got guys like Kent Johnson, you got guys like that that are, should make this Blue Jackets team a bit more fun to watch next year. Uh, you throw in a guy like Carlson, who's got nothing to lose. He's got all this pro experience already and played well. You know, putting up 21 points might not seem a lot, but doing that as a draft eligible prospect in a top European pro league is very difficult because those leagues don't care about player development if there's a chance you're going to the NHL. They care about winning because that's, you know, they're not affiliated with NHL teams. They're not, they're not a, a uh, they're not a prospect pool landscape for these teams like they they care about winning and they still play leo carlson a lot in order bro i think that stands out kind of how important of a player he is so uh you know i'd say he's going to be a great player too yeah and the idea of him columbus in columbus is pretty exciting and it's to me like columbus is starting to build something especially if you factor in that Zach Rensky was out for the year and that David Juracek was playing in the AHL most of the year. Like you could add Leo Carlson, for example, but then you add like Provorov, Severson, Rensky, and Juracek to that defense. Like that's a completely new team. So to me, that's going to be a fun team to watch next year in terms of just their development path really accelerating. Uh, okay, number four. This is probably, I mean, aside from Bedard, the most interesting prospect on the board, Matt Mamichkov. We know the talent's off the charts. We don't know... When he's going to play, it sounds like he's going to be present for the draft, which maybe sends a positive message. But what's your take on his projected fantasy value? Yeah, you know, a lot of this, like, like, and I'll, I'll say that I was part of it too. I think there's a lot of it being overblown about kind of his situation. Oh, he signed till 2026. He can't come over. But, you know, like a team having to wait three years is not out of the realm for a top prospect in a lot of cases. You know, if a player goes to college, you often are waiting a few years. So like you, you for an average prospect in top 10, that's maybe not a top three or four prospect. Usually it's, it's two years is typically kind of the waiting point. So three years is not the worst thing. Um, that being said, you know, just everything kind of going on in Russia. And I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of his contract before, you know, Scott St. Petersburg tries to give him this massive amount of money that, you know, it would take him a few years to be able to make in the NHL because he will have to do an NHL entry level contract. So he will be making less money pretty much right off the bat in the NHL. So there is that threat there. But from a pure talent perspective, this is a player that anytime he went up against Connor Bedard, specifically that 2021 under 18 world championship, he was the better player. Mitchkov has been the best player at every international tournament he's played in. The issue is we haven't been able to see that in a couple of years. I think when the big thing for him last year, he didn't, he started the year injured, didn't get to really play with Scott St. Petersburg and they sent him to HK Sochi. And that was so big for his development because he got to play top line minutes, top six minutes all season long, 27 games, 20 points. That's very incredible for a player that young. I believe that's one of the best draft eligible outputs we've ever seen from a KHL player. And he did it on a team that at the time when he joined them had four wins. They finished with nine. He more than doubled their win output at the end of the season. Not a lot of wins. The team was still really poor, but he went over and took control. And guys like that being able to do that is so impressive. Now, 
He is going to be going back to Scott St. Petersburg. They're a good team, so he's still off to fight for his chances. But I'm very confident it's going to work out. So, you know, I think that this is someone who could be getting 90 points in the NHL very early on in his career. Like, you look at what Kirill Kaprizov did. Like, Kirill Kaprizov was kind of like a late round. Like, we still weren't sure about him. With Mitchkov, most people are sure. This guy's the real deal. I think he's going to get 90, 100 points in the NHL. It's going to take time. But if you're willing to wait, I think it's going to be worth the risk. Yeah, that's going to be very exciting to see. And it's so true. But the KHL numbers, normally it's like, and he was one of the most dominant rookies in the KHL with a whopping two goals in 28 <laughs> games. So the fact that he had 20 points <laughs> is pretty unreal. Even Ovechkin had like nothing in his final year in the KHL, right? Uh, okay, number five, we have another, again, this draft class, as you wrote on the website this week, the centers, it's just an embarrassment of riches. And we have another one. Will Smith. So that's three centers in the top five, three potential franchise centers. So what do you see? Because Will Smith's an interesting one because we know his real life value. He's known as a really intelligent player. So it's like, is he going to be better real life player? Is that going to translate into fantasy value? Yeah. You know, there's, when it comes to Will Smith, people I think are really kind of just ragging on him for all the wrong reasons. This is a guy that's been dominant at every level he played at. And, you know, this year a lot was made about Gabe Perot being the top scoring player in, in U.S. national team development history. He had 132 points. Will Smith actually had 127 points, and he had a better point per game average and was the guy that was creating so much of that offense. And he was the best player at the U18s. And he was the best player at the top prospects game. This guy is going to be the real deal and going to watch him in college next year. I think a big thing for him will be working on his defensive play. They didn't necessarily need to. They would win these games sometimes five, nothing just because they would outscored the other team and Trey Augustine would do enough. But with him going next year to Boston college, he's going to have those same line mates, which is both good and bad. You know, on one hand, you know, Boston college is going to have a very strong line right out of the gate with him, Perot and Leonard. On the other hand, you know, I would like to see him be able to play with other players. And we didn't get to see that kind of even a showcase events or anything. He was always playing with the same guys. Hmm. But this is the guy that was the play driver in that line. And I think he will be a play driver in the NHL one day. My guess here, it's a one and done at Boston College here, and he'll be ready pretty quickly. Um, so if, let's say, you know, he falls to Montreal, that's my prediction at number five. Like, this is a guy that could be your number one center quite quickly. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were looking at Montreal, maybe having only too many good young centermen, and then realistically, it didn't work out that way. I think Will Smith would really be able to kind of inject some new life into that group. So um, wherever he goes, I think will be very important to see who he plays with. I think he still needs a guy who could shoot the puck, but... He's always one of the, like, w there are games where you look at him and say, it doesn't look like he's trying that hard, and you'll say it out loud, and then he'll score three goals in succession. And it's like, that happened way too many times this year. I, I don't want to doubt him at this point. So I think, you know, 75, 80 points is good. You know, he'll have a lot of real-life value. And in fantasy, I think that's just a guy that could find anybody who plays. I think almost a comparison is like Trevor Zegers. And if you like Trevor Zegers, you'll like Will Smith. Interesting. And I'm wondering, you know, the Habs... They do have two first-round picks, so imagine if they found a way. I don't know if, if Gabe Pro would be available that late in the first round, but maybe you trade up to get both of them. That would be interesting. Keep they that, could. Keep I, that I, magic. I would expect Montreal to be trying to trade up in this draft. Yeah, and we'll, that's something that will come up later on the show. We will discuss that. Uh, okay, Stephen, hope your voice is hanging in there. Take a sip of water because now we're going to sort of a lightning round, okay? So you can you can keep your answers brief to save your poor little throat because you're talking a lot of prospects, but let's go through a bunch of different questions about the fantasy impact now going deeper into the draft class. So first I want to hear 
Who do you think is a big sleeper over the long term among the 2023 draft hopefuls? So my biggest sleeper is a guy that I'm definitely rating much lower than a lot of people. And uh, for a reason, it's Jaden Perron, a guy, you know, who's 5'9", played for the Chicago Steel, the USHL, put up a lot of points this year, 72 points. But my concern is, man, the guy's way too small and not strong. He's like, gets physically pushed off the puck. I, I kind of don't love his skating. Uh, he needs to be a better skater to like he's a fine skater. He needs to be a better skater to match up with the fact that it's so small and he's not very strong. I think, you know, for him going to college and being able to kind of add some bulk, add some strength, will be very good for him. A guy kind of like Cole Caulfield. The difference was Cole Caulfield felt like a sure bet, like for me, was a top five prospect the year he got drafted. He fell to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Definitely should have gone much higher. With Jaden Perron, I don't think he's got those same qualities that make him a sure bet either. He's kind of like a favorite in the online scouting world. But for me, I think there's still just, you know, he's not. I, I don't like enough of his play away from the puck and this even in a lot of cases, his play with the puck to say that he's going to be a great star. That being said, he might be the small guy that breaks through and that's because he's such an incredible passer. Uh, he's got way better, more confident shooting the puck. I just think his overall offensive game started to really impress me near the end of the year. And he's someone that I hope proves me wrong. I, I hope that he becomes a guy that, you know, becomes this really nice sleeper pick. Okay. Okay. So a name to remember. And now it's funny because some of what you're saying makes me think you almost think he could be a bust, but I guess a bust would imply he has to be hyped more. So he's, he's like, he's like my 59th ranked prospect. So I'm thinking there's still a lot of potential there. It's just, I'm a little, I'm still hesitant. Yeah, that's fair. And when you're ranked 59th, I don't think you can really go bust. So bust usually would imply you're hyped a lot more than that. So that does tie into the next question, which is, who is your bust? It's such a great draft class. It's hard to imagine anybody going bust right now. I have a guess in my head, but I, I'm curious if I'm right. So who, who's your bust pick? Miner's Edward Schala uh, mm. out of Czechia. And uh, I think with him, it's it's truly like boomer bust with him. You know, when he's good and he showed those, those signs in the Czech League and he showed that against his own age group, he could be very good. But then you see him at the juniors and he gets benched. He's the 13-4 at points when... He gets called back up to the top line. He starts to produce. It's like in a lot of cases, he almost feels like he needs a bit more motivation to go out there and be as good as he possibly can. So there's been a lot of debate. Like there are some that believe he could go 10th, maybe 11th type there. I'm thinking like he might be the 20th best prospect. It could even fall just because there feels like if he doesn't put up a really good season, like assuming he goes back to Czechia next year, which he could, he could also come to the CHL. If he was to go out there in the Czechia and and go out there and, and, not have another great season, I would still be concerned. You know, for me, it's just like, he's got the skill. Can he put it together every single night? He's, he's talented, but he's inconsistent. And sometimes you can't really teach how to be consistent. You just got to teach that harder work ethic. And I think that's something that's just kind of missing in his game. I see. Okay. Interesting. I didn't think, I was thinking you were going to say Andrew Crystal because he's got, no, the best I like him. I like him. Yeah. I like Crystal. I, I, I'm a high believer in him. Yeah. We'll talk about him. He'll be coming up later as well. Um, okay. Next one. This is a fun one. This is one. I think we actually had a question. So Ranton and Raven, if you're listening, you always have great questions. We had to give the floor later to some more listeners, but part of the reason was because you asked this question, but we already had it as one of our topics. So the question is, Stephen, which 2023 prospect outside the top five has the best chance to jump in the NHL and make an impact right away as a rookie? 
Well, I got to go with Matthew Wood, and that's a guy that's got the the NHL size at six foot three, and his his feet have really caught up with him. He's a very quick skater, and this year I don't think anyone really saw him going out there and getting just under a point per game with the University of Connecticut and being their top player. I think that's really exciting. A guy that was a huge like riser through the draft. I remember doing a piece on the top NCAA players at the beginning of the year, and I wasn't even sure if he was a first-round pick at that time. Now it's like I wouldn't even be surprised if he's a top-10 pick. And from a lot of the discussion at the NHL Draft Combine, there's a lot that believe he could be a top-10 pick. Um, so we'll see if that happens. I think he's still maybe not the 10th best prospect, um, but he, he puts up a lot of points. He generates so many of those chances. Uh, I think that, you know, he, while, while he could skate well, I think he's still on NHL level skating, and it's going to take him a couple of years, and that's fine. Um, you know, a guy that gets picked 10 to 15th, it's okay if it takes two or three years for that player, like we were talking about Mitchkoff earlier. Um, but I think that the fact that he went up and produced so well as a freshman this year is a good sign that he's going to be ready to go um, after maybe one more year and and see what he could do from there. He's just... I, I could see him getting 50 points next year in the NCAA, which is very hard to do. And if you follow the NHL E metric to kind of project a player that that works out really favorable as maybe a 60, 70 point player in the NHL. So I think that, you know, he's just continuing to improve. Uh, he had one of the best junior A seasons that we had seen. This is also a guy that, you know, has grown up playing against quality uh, prospects. You know, he, he lived with, uh, with Connor Bernard for a while, with his family, he's, he, he knows Andrew Cristal very well. They're all good friends. So they're, you know, these are guys that have kind of grown up playing against each other, trying to make each other better. And I think Wood, you know, has so much potential. People look at him and say, Oh, he's big. And that's, that matters a lot, but he's just so much more than that. And I think that that's a guy that's could step in and be NHL ready as soon as he's ready to go. I don't think there's going to be a lot of teetering there. Interesting. Okay. So not necessarily going right away, but definitely someone who, has potential to make an impact. And again, of course, people are going to compare him to Tage Thompson. I know you compared him before to Drake Batherson, just a big guy who can do a lot, has a lot of agility for that that large, large frame. The NHL is not going to bother him. It's not going to be like when he gets there, he's like really trying to adjust. He's not a, I think the size and, you know, his experience in college hockey should make him, when he's ready to go, should be able to compete for the Calder, Calder trophy for sure. Okay, good to know. Uh, okay, now let's talk a little bit about the goaltenders. Obviously, it's much harder to project them, but I know you've had your eye on a couple throughout this season. So give me your top three fantasy goalies. And again, when it comes to fantasy in this situation, it's basically your top three goalies and your top three fantasy goalies are the same thing because you don't know what teams are going to be playing for. So the, the, the real life and fantasy value are pretty much equal in this case. So who are your top three? Well, it's kind of the three goalies that I think are the best shot at actually being starters. And I'll start with Michael Rabbi, uh, the Czech goalie with the Omaha Lancers, the USHL, six foot six, faced a lot of shots, whether it be the USHL, whether it be with the Czech national team. I think the biggest flaw in his game is covering the net down low. And you'll see that a lot of taller goalies. So I think the biggest example of that recently was Madden Sogard, a goalie I still think highly of in the Ottawa Senators organization, but just gets beat down a low a lot. And part of that is kind of how they do the positioning with the the reverse VH and everything reverse like VH. that. And, and and it will it hurts goalies and, and tall goalies really struggle with that. He doesn't have issues with the top of the net, obviously, but we saw that kind of come to a head both at the Linka Gretzky and then most recently at the U18s where he kept getting beat low, um, especially against the Americans where he allowed two kind of weak goals. That being said, a guy that faces that many shots kind of at a young age and throughout his career, you know, that bodes well for him. I think he, this is someone that knows how to handle that high level competition. He'll go to the NCAA. I think he'll play maybe two years there and then see maybe if he goes to the AHL, but 
he, he's got a good he was very hard on himself when he would lose, but in the game, it didn't seem to bother him. He allowed a bad goal and he was focused and make a great save the next play. So I'm very high on him being one of the best goalies this draft. Trey Augustine, uh, about six inches shorter, <laughs> but still a very talented goalie. We saw him take over the United States uh, starting goalie job at the uh, World Juniors. But in, in league play this year, whether that be the USHL, whether it be against college players, U18s, tournaments, everything, he went 30 and 1. Like that's quite impressive. This is probably the best American goalie um, from the U.S. national team development program since maybe Spencer Knight and Jake Ottinger before that. So this is a guy I'm very high on. Uh, he's there's not really a lot of flaws other than he just doesn't have NHL size. So being able to go out there and beat some college players, beat some U18 players, you know, good on you. But the shots get a bit harder when they come to to the NHL. So we'll see what he could do there. But he's very calm, very relaxed. His teammates love him. Uh, they also say he's the best at NHL 23. Uh, they did a tournament in the U18s of the whole American team. Apparently, he was the guy doing all the glitch goals and all the de- dekes and stuff. And I thought that was funny for a goaltender. Um, the one, though, with the biggest boom-bust potential of all goalies is Adam Gayon. And we've talked about him a few times. There's your guy. We've written about him a few times. <laughs> a dude that really kind of just came out of nowhere at the World Juniors. He was a third goalie. He was only invited to the team like four days before the start of the tournament and ends up becoming the starting goalie, best goalie in the tournament. But then, you know, it wasn't just that. He played really well with Chippewa with the steel in the NAHL, a team or league that doesn't typically have great defensemen. He goes to the USHL and goes, I think he was like 5-0-1-1 or 5-1-0. Either way, he was really good there too. Um, the goalie stats, you got to take them with a grain of salt. Um because you'll get total mixed bag on defense and junior hockey. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting to see what he could do with another year of Green Bay. I hope to go out and see him in person again and watch it. He's a really like nice kid, too. There's that. He's very humble, very happy to be in this position, a spot he never thought he'd be at. But from just a pure talent perspective, you know, he's 6'3", he's very athletic, he's kind of got all the makings of a modern-day goalie, and, you know, he he tries to model his game after Sergei Bobrovsky. Hopefully, we're talking, like, first and second round Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, or second and third round, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, and not, not Stanley Cup final Bobrovsky, but y- you could kind of see it in a way. He still kind of plays a bit of an old school, like he will throw his body out there to make a save. Uh, he'll, he'll, I think that one of the issues is he does overcommit, but I think the fact that he's got the size, he's got the skill, and he's kind of risen really quickly, uh, by the time he gets the NCAA, I think that we could be talking like about a guy who's a very, very solid shot at becoming an NHL starting goalie and maybe just becomes a great goalie in the NHL. The issue is, no one is truly certain on his value there. So I think that's it's a bit of risk reward there for a team that picks him, but I really think the risk is worth it. Yeah, and just such a cool story. And there's a, the profile that Steven did that's on Daily Faceoff right now that, that came out last week. And it's just he's like the equivalent of the, you know, the the struggling rapper or like pop star, wannabe pop star who like is trying to shop their demo tape on the streets because you know he was cutting his own highlights and no one knew anything about him a year ago. So the meteoric rise is pretty amazing. So it's an easy goaltender to root for, for sure. Uh, so now let's talk defensemen, Stephen. And I know it's pretty much out there that this is not an elite class for defensemen. Last year, obviously, had some better options. And I know next year is going to as well. But it's not like there's no one out there that's going to be impactful in fantasy in the long term. So who are your top three in terms of fantasy hockey ceiling? Well, the first one to kind of keep an eye on would be Lucas Dragosevich, a guy that I did write about during the U18s, where he's got to be one of the most fun defensemen I've watched in the draft. You know, just freewheeling. He used to be a forward. I think he only switched about three years ago to play defense. Um, Whether or not that was the right decision, I don't know. Um, But uh, he was just, you know, just 
love watching him carry the puck. He's a lot of fun. He put up a lot of points this year um, for a team that could have really needed his help offensively in Tri City. And I think that he'll like what put up something like 70 points this year. What is he going to get 90? He's going to hit 100 next year. It's just like he generates so many of those chances. The biggest concern is he's a terrible skater and he mm-hmm. is prone to just giving the puck away at any time. He's kind of like a PK Subban kind of, if you remember him, like he was kind of just like, wee around the ice at the beginning of his <laughs> career. And just like, and I loved it. It was so much fun to watch. He became one of my favorite players, but he would then just give the puck away at the blue line and or the center ice and then get beat. And it just hurt. So there's that. The decision-making needs to improve. But I think that just from a pure offensive standpoint, you get the right coaching around him. I, you, you can't teach that type of offense from a blue liner. Even if you could just tone it down a little bit and fo- tell him to get him to focus on his own zone. He's- this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Still becomes a very good player. I just think there's a lot of risk because he's still not a great defenseman. For a defenseman, uh, David Reinbacker, a guy that put up a lot of points this year in uh, in college or in uh, the uh, in the uh, uh, NL, the Swiss League. I thought yes. that, that the National League. Uh, it's very confusing that the Swiss League is the second league in Switzerland. Everyone, yeah, exactly. everyone, everyone agrees that's confusing, and I have to always try to write that out in my stories. Um, but he put up a lot of points against pros and had one of the best kind of production seasons of any defenseman. He's probably the most well-rounded defenseman. He can hit, he can score. He does kind of all that for, for that. So I think there's the value that he can kind of, he'll, he's kind of like a more exciter. If you like him in fantasy hockey, I think you're going to like David Reinbacker. They're not one for one the same. I think Sider's a bit more on the physical side, but Reinbacker is still one of the, more physical defenseman in this draft. And he's likely going to be one of the first guys picked uh, and should be able to lead a team kind of in all situations. So I do like his value there. Uh, my third one is Axel Sandin Pelica, a guy that had a great U18 tournament. I'm, I think there's, you'll get some scouts that think he's the best defenseman. Some think he's fourth or fifth for me. I'm kind of leaning on the second or third area there. I think that he's still kind of developing his game. He's still quite raw as a defenseman and in with his decision-making and in puck moving, but the, the talent is undeniable. And I think that in the right situation, maybe he, maybe he's not your number one, 
defenseman. But if you pair him with a guy who's very defensively responsible, I think you can unleash a lot of hell with him there. So I like those three. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I've heard. I think it was, was it Craig Button that was comparing Sandine Palika to Sergei Zubov, I think was the name that was being thrown out there yeah. with just his general puck skull. Although Sergei Zubov is obviously someone who is more reliable in his own end as well. Uh, okay, Stephen, we're almost ready for your your voice to get a break, but we'll do one more category here, and that is Banger Leagues. So who are some prospects? Because obviously there are more and more fantasy formats that use hits, blocks, things like that as their categories nowadays. So it's more important than ever to have really well-rounded players. So do you see any particular prospects in this draft class that should be on everyone's radar for banger formats? Well, uh, I would, David Reinbacher would be one of those options, but I'll kind of ignore him uh, just because we talked about him already. Dmitry Simashev, a guy, another one of the top defensemen out of Russia, just, you know, hits like, that's all he does. He just crushes people. <laughs> he's very good at it. Uh, very good shutdown defenseman. I think he's someone that will be kind of valuable there. Maybe not going to get you a lot of points, but he'll get the block shots. He'll do things like that. And, you know, as he gets more comfortable, maybe he does find his offensive game. I think there is still a lot there. But right now, I like his value as a guy who can hit and block shots. He's very good at that. Kind of like it's fun watching him kind of play almost like an Anton Vochenkov uh, kind of back when he was just blocking shots like willy nilly. It's kind of like that a lot of times. Casper uh, Halton might be the hardest hitting player in the entire draft. And mm. I remember seeing him at the U18s and it's like uh, sitting beside JD Berg from Elite Prospects. It's like, come on, we need to see you do something. And then he just go there and just land the biggest hit you've ever seen and then go score. It's like, mm. that's cool. A lot of fun to watch. And he's, he's got, you know, he's, he's got a good attitude to him. He's kind of like, yeah, I know I'm going to get in your face and I'll keep doing it and try to stop me. You can't. I'm like six foot a thousand. And so that, that part's really fun. Charlie Stramel is the one that at one point looked like a top 10 prospect. And I think part of that was because he committed to the college and he was playing there early and that kind of gave him a little bit of a boost. But the offense didn't show up this year. Um, there were points where I thought, you know, he's, he still could do it. He still actually can move quite well for a guy who's quite big. Um, the thing here with him is he is just built to hit and built to cause havoc. He's like just kind of a bigger Tom Wilson. And I, I don't like using Tom Wilson as a comparison, kind of like Milan Lucic. And we talked about this kind of every year you kind of get these guys who are like, oh, he's the next of this. And then mm-hmm. isn't anything like that player when it all comes down to it. Um, but I think that with just the way he he can hit players, he's smart, but really gets in your face. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that like he'll get drafted. And if he doesn't work out on the team, there's going to be enough teams that are still looking for his services. So he'll be a good NHL player. Uh, those are the three for the banger leagues that I'd be keeping an eye on. Just guys who literally will just hit anything that comes near them. Yeah, that's what you want. Absolutely. Well, great analysis, Stephen. That is our opening segment, of course, all the draft coverage. And now you finally get a little chance to rest your voice uh, because we're going to transition now to the tip of the week. So we're going to put aside draft talk just for a few minutes. And I want to look at the big picture when it comes to qualifying offers. Uh, we know that the deadline for restricted free agents is coming June 30th. And there's sometimes a tendency to assume that a player that is dumped by his current team doesn't have any fantasy value. Well, if this team didn't want him, especially if it's not even a particularly good team, why would anyone else want him? But sometimes one team's trash is another team's treasure. That's the tip this week, and that can apply to fantasy as well. I'll give you three examples from last season. Ilya Samsonov, the Washington Capitals, decided that they'd had enough of him, that they couldn't get him developmentally to where they needed him to be. They don't give him a qualifying offer. The Leafs get him for cheap, and he actually was a top 10 goalie in fantasy this season. The other one, of course, a smaller example would be Dominic Kubalik. 
Same thing happened with the Blackhawks. They didn't qualify him. He petered out a little bit, but he had a moment with the Red Wings, especially early in the season when he was pretty relevant in fantasy and also helping them a lot with scoring touch, getting a lot of shots on goal. And the other example, of course, another one from the Blackhawks is Dylan Strome. I'm still confused as to why they didn't qualify him last year. I still thought he would have had trade value, but they let him go for nothing. He goes to the Washington Capitals. He ends up playing much of the season with Alex Ovechkin. He does so well there. They're so happy with him. They end up signing him to an extension. So now he's actually part of their long-term solution in their mind. So it shows how much a player's value can change year over year. So as we get closer to that qualifying offer deadline and we might see a few prominent names get cast aside maybe someone like Kyler Yamamoto for example don't immediately write those players off sometimes they can find in themselves in better situations where they get more of a chance a better line deployment more of an opportunity whatever it might be a different coach so just keep that in mind when we see the player movement in the weeks to come yeah if Yamamoto I'm not ready to bail on him you know I still think he's got the talent there it just it, for whatever reason, you know, you get these guys that just can't work in Edmonton and, you know, with, with Pooley RV, you know, that, that ended kind of disappointingly, unfortunately for them. But I think with, uh, with, with, you know, Yamamoto, I think he could find somewhere, maybe a team like Chicago would be very good for him. A team that really kind of just needs anybody to play for them next year. You give him the Brisset, you know what? No stress this year. You might have a chance to play at Bedard. Let's see what you could do. And that might really kind of revive his career there. Yeah, for sure. It's a perfect example. And and it's just especially when there is so much new talent entering the league and Bernard's prime example. It's just you don't know who might vibe with that player. We don't know exactly what their tendencies are going to be at the NHL level. And it just creates an entire new network of possibilities. So that's why you keep an open mind during the offseason. Uh, Steven, now it's time for our best bet of the week. And this is a funny one because... I don't know necessarily if I believe this is going to happen, but I just think because it's a possibility, I want to talk about it and I like the odds. So right now at various sportsbooks, Botano being, being an example, you can find odds for certain players to be selected. I can't believe they actually have odds. You can bet on Connor Bedard being the number one pick, which is just basically like they may as well just say, would you like to steal from us? Thank you very much. I think it's like minus 7,000. I don't know what it, what it is exactly, but it's still crazy that you're allowed to do that. Um so right now, the most interesting pick to me in terms of the odds is the number three pick, especially because of the player types that are available. So Leo Carlson is the favorite minus 200. I do agree with you. I think the Columbus Blue Jackets will take him. But Will Smith is plus 215 to be selected third overall. And to me, Smith and Leo Carlson, their values are close enough that it's you're still in the team preference zone there. I don't think any team's going to overthink Bernard and Fantilli as the top two picks. But to me, it's not inconceivable that a team that really wants a center could say, you know what, we scouted Will Smith and we actually like him a little better than Leo Carlson. To me, they're close enough in value. And the fact that Will Smith's plus 215, Leo Carlson, there's a chance. So I like the idea of throwing down a little bet on Will Smith. Maybe Columbus just thinks he's a slightly safer player. I think they're both great players, and maybe the Blue Jackets do too. So consider making that bet. What do you think of that one? I, I, I could say that there is definitely a reasonable chance that could happen. Uh, I still think they go Leo Carlson, but I know that they really like Will Smith, and I know there's a lot of people who think that's kind of where they will go. It just kind of it just fits, it works, and with their timeline and things like that. And uh, you know, I just I, out, of, out of curiosity, I did the, like an odds checker to see. So at minus seven thousand, like what you're saying there, if you put ten grand, you'd win one hundred and forty two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, take that for what you will. Maybe if you want to make a lot of money, have a million dollars and see what happens. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's it's kind of funny seeing that. But yeah, so uh, I I 100 could see it happen at the right price. I think that that makes sense. Oh my god, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's I can't imagine like what person is crazy. Maybe it's like someone who just has you know uses various algorithms to just place a bunch of bets, bunch of bets for them that are mathematically perfect. I'm sure there are professional gamblers that are willing to move money around that much. That would be the type that's going to bet on that. Uh, so Stephen, I know you know we are talking about the 2023 draft for this entire episode, but doesn't mean we can't talk about additional prospects. So. I want to know who's on your mind for your weekly prospect report. Yeah, so we're, funny enough, we're going to pick a guy who actually didn't go drafted at any point, and that's Ty Karche from the Seattle Kraken. And I I kind of wrote about him a couple times in my prospect uh, roundups throughout the year. I'm just like, watch out for this guy. You know, 22-year-old, just turned 22, 21 during the season. That was uh, an overage signing out of the Sioux Greyhounds. And, you know, in his first year eligibility of the OHL, he, he was playing triple A. Like, like it wasn't like this guy was just this big player that came out of, like that was always highly rated. Like he wasn't at all. And for him to go out there, he was an eighth round pick in 2017, for example, in the OHL draft. And, just this year to see him go get 57 points and be such a valuable piece of the coach Ellie Valley Firebirds and then go play top line minutes when they needed an extra body during the playoffs for uh, Seattle. You know, there's all, <laughs> there's something there guys. And uh, it's always cool because, you know, every year we will talk about some of the, uh, the free agents coming out of the OHL, WHL and, and QMJHL. A lot of times those guys don't really become anything, but this is someone who did, and Seattle believed in him. And Seattle kind of had nothing to lose; they were trying to build their prospect pool. But he goes out there, has a you know a seventy-nine point season last year in the OHL. Nothing too crazy for a junior hockey player. But then he goes on and gets almost sixty points this year in his first year of pro hockey. Like that's 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 not nothing. That's pretty impressive. So I, I think he's kind of earned his spot there as a full-time player next year. And I could see him challenging for the Calder trophy, just based off the fact that he continues to improve, continues to get better. And it's like, he's playing with house money that just never goes away. And I like that. The fact that Seattle, well, they're still like, you know, they had a good year this year. They're still a work in progress. They're still, they, they showed some flaws during the playoffs. And I think a guy like him, they, like you know, they need someone who can go out there and, and generate scoring chances and can finish, and he could be that guy. So as this team continues to try to go up the ranks, I think he could be someone that you can throw in the top six next year, feel comfortable about it, and see what happens. So I'm very excited to see what happens with Seattle next year, especially if Shane Wright makes the team again. Very interesting sleeper, and just again the reminder, and I've said it many times on the show, just don't get completely blinded by the incoming draft class because often the best rookies are from previous years. Yeah. So perfect example of that. So, Stephen, we have some good questions from our listeners this week. Let's move on to those, and let's let's get the question machine going. What do we have? All right, this one comes from Simon Johnson. Ten years from now, who will be the best fantasy-relevant player behind Connor Bedard? So, I'm going to be boring, but again, we said it already on the show, Adam Fantilli not getting enough respect, and I think people are just sometimes overlooking the fact that he would probably be the number one pick. He would have been last year for sure. I think he would have been the year before, maybe even the year before. At least the last two drafts, I think maybe the last three drafts. Uh, so going back to even the Alexi Lafreniere year, maybe not Jack Hughes, but Lafreniere and Owen Power and Slavkovsky, I think I personally, based on what we knew about them going into their year, I would put Fantilli above them. And again, Hobie Baker is a freshman, just dominant player, right? One of the most dominant players we've ever seen uh, as a freshman in the NCAA. And I think he's going to be a star in the NHL. So to me, that's a really safe pick. 
Yeah, for me, I'm going with Matthew Mitchkoff. Again, we're keeping it kind of boring here, but there's a reason why. Um, and part of it is just Mitchkoff. Just the numbers he's been able to put up against any age group so far has been really impressive. And again, you know, had it been a normal year, had there not been all the talk about, oh, you know, he's from Russia, blah, blah, I think there'd be more people talking about how close he really truly is to a guy like Connor Bedard. And uh, I think there's a huge argument to say he's the second best player in this draft. Um, but for me right now, it's, you know, I still think there's a, a lot to go. He is playing against pro hockey. So it is against pro players. So it is a bit of a, a more of an upward climb than a guy who had to play against college hockey. Um, but uh, I just think that there's just so much there to love. And he's a pure offensive player. Like you're not, you're not going to be paying him to be a good defensive winger. You're paying him to put pucks in the net and he's good at that. So yeah, I, I think Mitchkoff's the answer. Uh, Next question comes from Jeremy Reichel. How many starting goalies can see can you see coming out of this draft class? And I guess I can answer this one. Um, I mentioned all three of the ones I think could happen. Uh, I do think it'll only be the really three goalies, Adam Gayon, Trey Augustine, and Michael Rabbi. Uh, maybe Jacob Fowler, um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of just leaning towards those three. The one goalie that I'm really high on, though, Damian Clara out of Italy. And I've mentioned him a few times on dailyfaceoff.com, and it's just because it's a goalie of that size. And I think part of the issue with him is like, he should be playing in the CHL next year, but a guy like him, it's, you know, six foot six, all this talent plays well everywhere he goes, but he didn't have a lot of scouting opportunities. He was playing kind of, you know, Sweden junior hockey, but he came out of Italy. It took a while for him to really get on people's radars. I think that every time he's represented Italy nationally, he's looked really good. And he did at the U18, U20 and the men's level this year. I don't know when the last time that's ever happened for a goalie. Uh, I think that there's a very bright future there, but he's still a little bit of a long shot. Uh, still needs to kind of get more consistent in Sweden. Uh, if assuming he stays there, but I think that there's something there and that could be another guy is maybe if I had to pick a sleeper goalie, he's, he'd be my pick. Could be the best Italian goaltender since Jason Mazzotti. It would be the best Italian goal. First Italian goalie drafted. So uh, they've, they've had some interesting goalies. Adam Denis, uh, who was a, uh, you know, a former Buffalo Sabre floor, Panthers prospect, I believe, uh, now works in the OHL and a couple other guys like that. So, uh, you know, most of those goalies that play for Italy are actually from Toronto. So um, <laughs> that's like literally a fact. Most of them are not yeah. from Italy. Uh, this one comes here. Juan Hernandez, which prospect outside of the top 10 do you think will have the best fantasy value? Okay, so one, uh, you've already touched on. Uh, I have a few, so I, I always cheat with these kinds because I just have too many names in my mind. But Lucas Dragasevich, I think, to me, sounds almost like a Tony D'Angelo kind of player who just has that barn burner mentality, bringing so much offense to the table. Oh, nice, hopefully. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So I see a lot of potential there. Andrew Crystal, of course, I think just based on the raw ability, I know the skating is way behind, but just his actual hands and pure offensive ability, someone to watch carefully. And to me, maybe my favorite one is Oliver Moore. I know it's possible he goes inside the top 10. From what I understand, he's kind of on the borderline, but just the speed factor is so intriguing to me. And it sounds like he's the fastest player maybe since Connor McDavid, one of the fastest players we've seen in a long time as a prospect. So I'm just excited with how that might translate in terms of just other defensemen being able to keep up with them. And if he can have the scoring touch to go with it, to me, he's a very intriguing uh, fantasy sleeper. Yeah, I'm just going to do one because I follow the rule of the question. And that is, uh, that's Gabe Perot. I just, the numbers he put up this year were incredible. But again, you got to put a lot of context in kind of how he did it. You know, more games than guys like Matthews and things like that. But with, with Gabe Perot, it's, 
I felt a lot more confident in his game in that second half. It didn't look like he was just sitting in front of the net getting rebounds or just shooting on the power plays. Like eventually it was like he was generating a lot of his own chances and showed a lot more skill than we kind of saw. He looked a lot more comfortable as a whole. And I think that if he continues to do that, continues to improve that way, I think that we won't be talking about him just being a guy that just kind of benefited from good linemates. Because that's not true. Like you don't score 132 points by accident. Like you don't mm-hmm. beat scoring records by accident. But a lot of it is got to be contributed to the guys he played or attributed to the guys he played with. But as he continued, just the way that the season kind of ended with him, where he was the one generating those chances, that gave me a lot of hope. So I do like what Gabe Pro is going to be able to do. This one comes from LD Rock. Fantasy-wise, who will benefit in Chicago from Connor Bedard short-term and longer-term? So in the short term, you know, we talked about Lucas Reichel last week as being a potential beneficiary. In terms of possible line mates, you have to look at Andreas Athanasiu, who resigned as well. But we don't know who else Chicago is going to add. And I think people are automatically just thinking about the forward side of things. To me, the actual answer to this question is Seth Jones, because yes. we know he's going to be playing lots of minutes. He's going to be on the top power play. And he actually has someone to finish his passes or put in the rebounds from his point shots on the power play, et cetera, et cetera. So I think Seth Jones actually suddenly, if you can stomach the plus minus, becomes quite a bounce back candidate in fantasy this year. I'd also say Seth Jones would have been my answer. I'll also say whoever the goalie is, because you might have a guy who could actually support you at the other end of the ice now. You might win some games. Yeah, that's right. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, and the last question comes from Patrick Otto. Is there a team that could potentially trade up into the top 10? What would that cost look like? Okay, so it's already been discussed. It's already out there that the Montreal Canadiens are interested in trading up, which is interesting because you're, you're going to get a great player at number five. It's like, unless you're trading into the top two, then I don't know if it's worth it. So maybe that is the goal. Maybe they are trying to get into the second spot to take Fantilli. Uh, so that's one example, but at least again, cause you're already in a prime slot. I don't think you'd have to kick in that much. If you have the five pick, maybe you have to kick in like a one of your second tier prospects or another pick, something like that. Uh, in terms of teams that aren't necessarily rumored, but just that I think are a cool fit for trading up. I think Nashville is a team that desperately needs to do so. They pick at 15 and 24, and this team desperately needs a star. They need a superstar. They don't have one. Roman Yossi, of course, would be the closest thing, and obviously he's won a Norris Trophy, but in terms of forwards especially, Joachim Kemmel obviously has got tons of potential. But if we're if we're looking at guys that could actually be true stars, I'm wondering if you could take the 15 and 24 pick overall, so two picks in the first round. Could you use those to get into the top 10 or even better, the top five, and actually get a player who can, you can build your franchise around at forward? To me, the Predators are the team that should be considering doing that. You know, the team that kind of sh- stood out to me was actually the Chicago Blackhawks, the team that picks very first overall. But, you know, they also have another pick there in 19th overall um, from Tampa Bay. But they have four picks in the second round, two picks in the second or first round in the next two years. Like this team has a lot of draft capital where if you are really serious about this draft, I think you go all in and try to get as many of those first round picks as possible. And that might mean trading your two first round picks next year, not having one and, and try to capitalize on one of the guys you get this year. But if the scouting department really has a belief in this draft class that a lot of teams do, I think you got to do what it takes. So hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to get a second pick on the top 10 and then give Bedard that legitimate player to play with. Like, could you imagine if it's Bedard and then yeah, maybe you get Gabe Perot, maybe you get, uh, I don't know, Nate Danielson, guy like that, or maybe you get your number one defenseman you need. Maybe you can get a David Reinbacher. I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking there. Imagine if you traded like, okay, the 19th pick, Frank Nazar, and like, 
a couple seconds for Mitchkov and you got you went with Bedard and Mitchkov somehow. That would be incredible. It's like it's like it's, NBA it's, style. They got some good defensemen. They could get defensive prospects that could trade away if they just don't care about having defensemen. <laughs> so yes. there's that too. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it for the questions. Should be interesting. We'll be on hand in Nashville next week. If anything crazy happens, we will talk about it on this show and go crazy together. Uh, okay, Stephen, we're going to finish it off now with the starting lineup. This is a special one. Again, this is your episode. It's your time to shine. So let's just keep that vibe going. And I want you to name your top six racing video games of all time. All right. Well, I'm going to give a honorable mention to Burnout Paradise because while there is racing in that game, uh, it's more about exploring the world, and that game was a lot of fun. Uh, start off with uh, number six being NASCAR 2005, a game that was just you know very solid NASCAR game. You did, you could race all the divisions you wanted to. You could race Vipers. You could race Daytona prototypes. If you liked racing, that was a good one for NASCAR fans. Uh, but after that, kind of the NASCAR games really didn't change a whole lot. And EA Sports lost the title a couple of years later. Uh, next one, Need for Speed Most Wanted, the original. That one's all about starting at the... You're the top street racer, and then you have your car taken because you lost it in a pink race, a pink's race. And you got to fight your way back up and try to win that car back. I thought that was always a cool story. Like You can't really do much in a story game for a racing game, especially a street racing game. But that kind of worked, and it worked out around the same time the Fast and Furious movies were pretty popular too. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, that was kind of my first street racing game, and I loved it. The next one, probably one of the most obscure ones on this list, R Factor Two. It's like a more of a simulator game. It's the basis of a, the simulator platform that actually like the pro drivers use in training facilities to prepare for races. You can kind of do whatever you want in it. It could do, you know, sports cars. IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One cars—you could do whatever you want. Uh, and the AI is typically pretty solid, and you can race a lot of different tracks. And VR is very good in it. Uh, it's just a game that isn't really getting updated anymore. And there's a lot of questions about the parent company, but I enjoy it still to this day. I just wish we'd got more modern prototypes. Not that anyone here that cares or doesn't care about racing would understand any of that. The next one, the original NASCAR Heat game. Uh, the newest NASCAR games are absolute. Uh, beep beep they suck um but uh this game was uh just the one that kind of got me into it and it was also the one that really got me interested in like sports commentary uh seeing uh alan bestwick who i think would be an incredible nhl uh, commentator he's a huge hockey fan um but he uh having him kind of introduce the game and talking about the different challenges it was really fun and just it was uh, the first time i ever raced online and i think i was three years old when i first did that so that game was from 2000 i love that the game that was probably the closest to my heart in terms of me being good at it was mario kart wii um that's my number two that one was one year my brother and i during like the summer it was i had like a knee injury we couldn't do a lot so we spent the whole summer trying to like really grind it out and we were winning tournament after tournament we had one point where we had a 64 race between us two 64 race online winning streak it was just so much fun to kind of see that and uh you know it was uh it was a lot of fun so mario kart wii is one that still holds up to me um mario kart 8 i think a better game but i don't have that connection to it and the number one game is iRacing, the game that uh, this past weekend I did a six-hour online race. I came second in it, did a 24-hour online race a couple weeks ago. I usually do these big endurance races, but I also race in a league called Monday Night Racing, which um, is really cool because like we've had guys like Mario and Dreddy, you know, one of the good drivers of all time in it. Uh, we've had... Um, uh, we've had baseball players, like like MLB players. We've had NFL players come and play a race with us. A lot of real life race car drivers uh, 
Kyle Busch being one one of the more famous drivers in NASCAR. Um, so it's been really cool to be able to race those guys. And I it's it's one of the hardest championships to win a race because you're racing against pro drivers. <laughs> it's it's pros versus media. I did win a race. Uh, I was 28th on the final lap, and the top 27 cars all crashed, and I passed them all. <laughs> but I've had some good finishes otherwise, a lot of second places. But yeah, it's kind of like it's fun. It's the most competitive racing simulator around. It's the one a lot of the pro drivers also use in their free time and, and kind of do anything. But for me, my my love in that is the 24 hours, the 12 hour, six hour races that I do a couple times a year. That you know you you put in like weeks of work you've got a full schedule like when people are allowed to sleep things like that you got four drivers typically and you just kind of go from there so those are my favorite racing games some are mainstream some people have never heard of very cool amazing list and it sounds like you put a lot of thought into that one love it i have a couple random ones well for me it was more about which games i played with my sister my my twin sister we would just have one person race the other person drive the entire course backwards trying to crash into other cars yeah uh, whether we were playing nascar or mario kart except once in a while one would crash into the other and then all hell would break loose that would be a disaster a, a major sleeper it's not even technically a racing game but it's a car game uh and a car competition game playstation one destruction derby and it's like a demolition derby game and it's kind of a cheaply made game but it was really fun and eventually me and my buddy we actually dusted it off and played it like two years ago we found out you could win every race by just driving backwards and your car doesn't take the same amount of damage so there's a fun fact if you're ever going to play destruction derby <laughs> for playstation one uh steven that's it for this episode great episode it was your time to shine and shine you did indeed We'll be back next week. We will be live from Nashville, and we will have plenty to talk about, I'm sure. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Thank you, Steve. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 